is the beginning of June. There is only one way to begin episode 86 of Edge of Your Sea Podcast. And that is with a very special, heartfelt shout out to Doug Wagner, a.k.a. Heavy D, my best friend, my brother, changed my life forever. He passed away in 2007. He would have been 34 on June 1st. Man, we're getting old. A little bit older than him, but we grew up together. That was my guy. We did everything together for tons of years. We were at each other's house every day, fought together, fought each other. You know, that's what we did back in the day. Played basketball. We did absolutely everything together. Just had to start the show off with a very heartfelt shout out to him. Today is June 5th. Schedules got busy. Could not get a show out on his birthday. But to me, I am thinking about the guy every single day of my life. So it really doesn't matter what day it is. He knows I was thinking about him on his birthday. I actually even went to his gravesite and said my my things, my peace, my grievances, my you know, I just shouted out to him just kind of like I did, like hey, looked up in the sky, said, you know, I'm here, always thinking about you. That's my guy. Always will be. I know everybody has somebody in their life like that that they've lost. Hopefully you don't, but most people do, especially you get to your 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, as you get older, you know, people start passing away, even though you don't want them to. And those are your special people and and things like that. But unfortunately, that's life and no one stays alive forever. And we never know when our time is coming. So always take those moments to think about those people Special shout outs, thank yous, you know, I love yous, whatever it is. I definitely give Doug some all the time. I actually have his nickname, Heavy D, tatted on my arm. I have photos of him I look at constantly. Hopefully you do the same with your loved ones. I know that means a lot to them as well as it does to you. Your soul needs stuff like that, no doubt. But like I said, this is Edge of Your Seat Podcast, episode 86. I'm your host, Brandon LaChance. Let's kick it with the plugs right now. Don't know where you're listening to this one, but you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and Google Music. If you have any questions, suggestions, anything of anything worth sending an email, feel free to do so at edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com. Also, hit us on social media, Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast, and Twitter, Edge of Your CP. As I said earlier, talking about schedules, it is getting very, very hard to predict when we can get a show out. Work schedules have changed, outside life has changed, and schedules are kind of hard to maintain right now. So please, if you're interested in listening to Edge of Your Seat Podcast, you have social media, just stay in touch with Facebook and Twitter. We will make sure we post Elisa day and ahead of time of when a show is going to come. I posted that there will be a show Friday night, I believe on Wednesday, give you a two-day warm-up, heads up. I will do the same going forward, maybe not two days, maybe just a day, but I'm still going to shoot for three a week. I just don't know when. I know that's kind of a headache. You know, we like to know when things are going to happen every week, but I really don't know at this time. So, as I do know and I keep trying to push them out, I would love to. But I don't want to sit here and lie either and say, hey, it's going to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then that doesn't happen. It hasn't happened in the past two or three weeks, 
And I kind of feel bad that I haven't been able to do that. So I will make sure that Facebook and Twitter is always updated when we're going to have a show, who the guest is, and all of that great stuff. So keep posted, keep tuned, keep listening. We'll make sure the show of awesomeness rages on. This show, episode 86, has former Princeton football head coach Jesse Snyder. He might be a former head coach with the Tiger football team, but he is also now a current. He is coming back to the Tigers as an assistant coach for this upcoming season. Hopefully they have a season in the fall that is yet to be confirmed. But when the Princeton Tigers get back on that football field, Jesse Snyder will be there. Not as a head coach, but assistant right under Ryan Pearson. I think that combo with the coaches they already have there is going to be amazing. And Princeton is looking at fielding one of the greatest teams that they may ever had. The team is super dynamic. Running back, Rondé Wills is a stud. They got a great line. They got defenders. They got a secondary that can catch anybody or can read the ball, pick off interceptions. They have a crazy team that I am super excited of following, watching, and talking to this upcoming season. So it's great to have him on, known him for quite a while as he was the head coach of Princeton, went to Stockton for three years as their head coach, and now he is back. Lots of cool stuff with Jesse. Before we get into some professional sports topics, and then of course the interview with Jesse Snyder, let's get to our sponsor. That of course is Olson Construction. Whether it's a light fixture, or an entire kitchen remodel, Olson Construction is here to help. The family-owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows, doors, deck designs, remodels, garage additions, and room additions. Owner Keith Milas has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured, at 815-910-5982. Olson Construction can also be contacted on Facebook at the Olson Construction LLC page or via email, olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. couple things I wanted to talk about on professional sports tip. The NBA, the Players Association, has agreed to a 22-team format to try to conclude the 2019-2020 NBA season. Starts like it's going to kick off at the end of July. I think July 31st was the date that I saw. And all games are going to be played at the Disney Arena that they have set up in Florida. I'm super pumped up about this. I mean, we didn't know how the season was going to end. Of course, everybody thinks LeBron James and the Lakers are going to win. I've heard some conspiracy theorists like, hey, Kobe Bryant passed away. It's LeBron James. He is moving toward the end of his NBA playing career. You know what? I think they're going to hand it to the Lakers. I hate when people do that. I don't think titles are handed away or handed out or given to anybody. If they are, it is a shame and that is not what I believe sports is. Now, are the Lakers good enough to win this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two of the best players in the league. Top five, hands down. So do I think they could? Yeah, but do I think it's because, you know, rest in peace Kobe, 
but that the Black Mamba is no longer here with us, or just because LeBron's name and personality and who he is is attached to the Lakers? No, I don't. But I love NBA basketball. I'm ready to watch it. I hope they were staying in shape throughout this, and it's not going to be like we're watching you know, the YMCA Men's Rec League playing on the court. I hope that's not what we get. I hope it's a little more advanced than that. That would be best for all of us. On the other hand, the MLB Major League Baseball is having issues trying to get not even back into playing, but just to play since they didn't even start their season when this COVID-19 coronavirus thing hit us all. So the MLB Players Union said, hey, we would like this, like to try this 114-game format. The MLB said no. At first, there was no counterproposals on the table, and then they came back with 50 games. The MLB player union is like, no way. At least give us 82. It's all about player contracts. It's all about what they want to play the players and what they don't want to pay the players. That is what we're talking about when it comes to the MLB and whether they're going to play or whether they're not. It's really a shame. Of course, we would like to see everybody playing. We want our sports back. But the athletes want to be paid, and the owners don't want to overpay them. I mean, you can ask millions of people across the United States of America, and they all think every player is getting overpaid anyway. That's up to you to decide. I think players, owners, deserve to get what they're supposed to get, and that's what these agreements are for. I hope they come to something soon so we can try to get some baseball in before you know it's 2025. Days are flying by. It's already June 5th. We did this corona quarantine. Now we're wearing masks. We can sort of go into places. We sort of can't. Can't really go to restaurants yet unless they're outside. We've been doing this for three months. Three months we have been doing all this. And who knows how long this is going to be or what we think is normal. We're going to get back to that. No idea. But I think it would help us all if we had some baseball, some basketball, you know, some football talks, some movement going on. Something for us to pay attention to, get our mind off of this stuff. Yes, this is a serious matter. People are getting sick. People are dying. But we still got to get back to life and make sure that when we are here, we're not feeling like we're robots or in this weird form of life that we can't really do what we do. Like, we're not robots. We're not a part of a society where, hey, you do this, you do that, and this is what you do. No, that was gone a long time ago. That doesn't happen now. We got protesters for everything. And I do want to give another shout-out to the Illinois Valley and the way that they were able to do these protests about the cop killing the black guy. I'm not saying names to anybody, not the cop, not the victim, not anybody it's a really, really sad story, and I'm not saying the names because things like this happen all the time, and they get us in our feels, and we start feeling something, and we get angry and upset, and every person on this planet should have been angry that this officer killed a man by laying on his neck with his leg. His leg literally looked like it was breaking the dude's neck in half. It really did. Again, we don't know the before scenes. We don't know what the guy said. We don't know how he acted. His police record has been out there, and it sounds like he was on drugs as all this was going on. So I don't know. I don't know any of that white police officer, African-American victim, or arrestee, whatever you want to say. I don't know the surroundings of, of it all, and I don't think none of us do, and none of us ever will. We don't know that. 
I do think it's right to protest. Nobody should die like that. Nobody should die because his leg was on his neck. He goes to jail, he gets arrested, goes to prison, you know, whatever. That's the way the legal stuff works. But nobody should be killed like that. So for protesting, I get it. Like, why are our officers allowed to do this and he wasn't even arrested right on the spot? He got to go home for a few days or at least a day. And they're like, hey, maybe we should arrest him because now the media is getting a hold of this. And all these different groups are protesting and they're getting a hold of it. Now maybe we should arrest him. That's wrong. Dude killed somebody without any lawful reason. We didn't see this African-American guy with a gun pointed at a police officer. We didn't see any of that. All we saw was his neck pretty much being broken by a white officer's leg. That's what we did see. So I want to thank the Illinois Valley for having peaceful protesting. There wasn't windows being broke or government buildings being burnt down like in other cities and towns all over the United States of America. You did it right. You did it peacefully. You got your point across. You got people thinking like, hey, why is this happening? Why do people think it's okay to be racist and stuff like that? And you had little kids asking their parents like, what does this mean? Why? You're getting people thinking. You're getting people to understand that this is a problem. That's a job well done. So congrats to the protesters in Princeton, in LaSalle, Peru, Streeter, all these other places. I know they were all over the place that got people thinking and they did it the right way. Congrats. Job well done. We got an interview, a conversation with Jesse Snyder ready to go. So there's no more words from me needed. Except keep paying attention to your Facebook, your Twitter, Edge of Your Seat Podcast to see when next shows are coming out. Probably we'll have one on Monday. That's my goal right now is to have one on Monday. That's the goal. Hopefully we can achieve it. But until next time, peace. So in 2020, social media age, we are all over Facebook and Twitter, checking out what's going on locally, nationally, sports, movies, music, whatever. And obviously, big sports guy doing a sports podcast, so why wouldn't I be looking up stuff? And I seen a headline saying, Snyder leaving Stockton to go back to Princeton. I'm like, what? So I looked into the story, and sure enough, Jesse Snyder, who was the Princeton football coach, left to Stockton is returning back to Princeton. I was super excited. Had to hit him up. And thankfully, I have Jesse with us to talk about this great news. How's it going, Jesse? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on here. Of course. Let's jump right into that. So you were at Princeton. You go to Stockton for the last three years. And now you're headed back to the Tigers. Yeah, it's been kind of a, been kind of a whirlwind. I'm super excited about coming back. Well, I spent a little over nine years in Princeton before I, went to, I came up here to Stockton. In the last three years, I've been here, so I'm excited to uh, come back and put the uh, the blue and white on, man. It'll be exciting, that's for sure. So when you were with Princeton before you were the head coach, you're coming back as an assistant with Ryan Pearson this year? Yeah, so I'm going to be coming back this season as an outside linebackers coach uh, on the defensive side of the ball. A little bit of a change for me, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to, to be an assistant, a little less responsibility, and... As an assistant coach and a position coach, you get, at times you get to develop a little bit different type of relationship with the kids than than being the, the head coach. It's always got to be the you know the, the head guy that is is coming down on you on the guys for you know discipline things and things like that. But you still do that as an assistant. But um, it, 
it's just easier, I think, for kids to, to approach, you know, their position coach sometimes as a head coach at, at times. So um, I'm excited about that about that role and um, being able to come back uh, essentially to where you know my, my second home is in, in Princeton. What made you make the decision to come back to Princeton? I mean, you're in Stockton, went to the playoffs the last three years, so you had you know some good things going on there. What brought on to like, hey, I'm going to go back to the Tigers and be an assistant coach? You know, I think there's a lot of things that go into decisions. One of the big things for me um, were, you know, we were having a lot of, we were having success in Stockton, and it's a, it's a place that I really care about. I mean, anytime you leave anywhere, it's, you know, it's heavy on your heart, especially when you, when you love the kids. Like, like I love the kids here in Stockton, and even when I left Princeton, it was kind of the same way. Um, but you gotta, you gotta go where you feel it's, you know, it's right for you personally and professionally. And I think the opportunity to come, to come back to Princeton to a place that, like I said, it's been over nine years, developed some phenomenal relationships with, you know, you know, colleagues at, at the school and players over the time I was there as, a, as an assistant and as a head coach. The community itself, it's just such a great place to live. Those are some of the big ones, I think, for me. I think there's going to be a little bit more opportunity for me there. Going in as a special education teacher, which is a, a different field than, than PE also, which is an exciting exciting challenge and um, something else, hopefully have an, an opportunity to to make an impact on my students in a little bit different way than I was as a PE teacher too. So it's, uh, it's exciting. So with you saying that, was this more of like a professional teaching job move, uh, more say than coaching? A little bit of both. I mean, at the end of the day, when it comes right down to it, whether you're a coach or not, I mean, you're a teacher first. And I think it's important to, I mean, that's got to be number one. As Even as coaches, I think it's important that we understand that our job, even on the on the practice field and on the game field, is that we're teaching, we're teaching young men. You know, um, we're hopefully doing everything that we can to give them opportunities to succeed as, as individuals and as a team. But um, I think the... The opportunity to come back was is a way to challenge myself professionally as a teacher in another field, um, and like I said, come back to a place that I really care about, you know, the community and the school itself. I know I'm excited to have you back. Yeah, I'm pumped, man. I can't wait. May 28th is the official moving day. I got the the okay on a place that I'm gonna rent out, so I'm officially gonna be in town on Thursday the 28th. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped up. Oh, definitely. That's awesome. Looking back on your career, I, I just said that the last three years you made the playoffs with Stockton, which that would be Class 1A, correct? Yep. Your last year with Princeton was 16. You went 5-4. and four. The year before yeah. that, in 15, you went 11-1. and one. That was an awesome yep. year. I remember a lot of those games. Yep. First three years, um, as a head coach anyway, in Princeton, it was really all about building a foundation for the program. You know, I, you know as well as I do that there wasn't a lot of buy-in and excitement for Princeton football, you know, 2012. I think a lot of people forget this. You know, the first two years I was there, if I don't forget it, but the first two years I was there, we went 0-9. We were 0-18 the first two years. That group of kids that went 0-9 and 0-9, I don't think that those kids get enough credit for the things that they did to really buy into that program, buy into that pride of Princeton football to really develop and set, like I said, lay the foundation for, you know, what the program, what we wanted the program to be. The third year, we went three and six. I don't know, we were probably 10, 15 plays away from being a five and four team. The kids that were sophomores, uh, we brought a few of those guys up, but we, we kept most of them down together because we knew that they were pretty, they were going to be a pretty good group together to try to get them gelling, which they did. And then as seniors, they really stepped up in a big way, and we were able to put together a, a quarterfinal run in 2015, which was, was pretty exciting, losing to Immaculate Conception in the, in the quarterfinals. 
the 2016 year we went five and four. We should have been at least six and three, but that's just kind of how kind of kind of how it goes. We we missed the playoffs by one point, um, but it was the first time that a Princeton team had been an over 500 record back to back seasons in like since 2000 and I want to say 2003 and 2004. Taking those steps to hopefully develop the program in a way that you know it was an ex- expectation to have success on the football field. You beat me to the punch because that was going to be my next point. 2002. Princeton goes eleven and two. Two thousand and three, they go six and four. Your eleven and one record in two thousand five was the first winning record since two thousand and three. So that had to be awesome for you in Princeton, and then to try to keep that rolling. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's really what you know. As coaches, I think it's it's easy to say, you know, and it's the truth. I mean, for most coaches, I thought I hope that it's it's the truth. You know, it's it's not always about the win. You know, it's about as coaches, we want to make sure that we're we're doing things that can help develop these kids into, into young men and doing things the right way. I think I think that's, that's all true, but at the same time, there is a competitive factor in there. Also, I mean, people still want to succeed. Um, they want we want our kids to succeed. We want the program to succeed as a staff, as a program. You know, starting in 2012, in all honesty, we had a pretty good feeling. There's a chance that we could be one in 17, or we can be 0 in 18. But at the end of the day, we've got to start developing small successes, you know, practice by practice, you know, that kind of stuff. But building it up to that 2015 and then into the 2016 season, when I left, I felt we felt as a staff that the program was in a good place. Our JFL was was rocking and rolling, doing a lot of good things. We were we were gelling together as, as a as a unit from fifth grade to twelfth grade, from an offensive standpoint, defensive standpoint character standpoint and coach Pearson has come in and has continued that and done a really has done a great job of adding certain things to continue to develop that success and that you know camaraderie and just expectation of success uh, with the program you beat me to the punch once again my friend <laughs> I was gonna bring up Ryan Pearson next yes sorry man oh no hey I like it I like it so he goes to the playoffs the last two years this year a game away from state and it was a thrilling 7-3 old-school beat-down football game that Princeton just fell short. So coming back to the Tigers with Ryan Pearson, I mean, what are you looking forward to with, you know, the steps that you put the foundation in place now to come back and be a helping hand again? I'm just honored to have the opportunity, to be honest with you. I think, uh, like I said, I think Ryan and his staff, is, they've done, you know, tremendous things the last three years, you know, since he's, since he's come in. Just like when I went to Stockton, I don't think it's it's not always super easy to come in when a, you know the program's had some success and then kind of put your own twist on it and, and continue to build the program in the direction you feel it should go. And I think Ryan's done a phenomenal job of that. I mean, you can see that in the way that the kids play, uh, the buy-in of, of the staff and his expectation of you know the, the pillars of success that he's developed for, for the program. It's not just about football, it's about family. When you get kids and, and the staff and the school and the community buys into the fact that that's what, that's what this is, this is a family, it's a, it can be pretty special. Like I said, I'm extremely excited to, to be part of that and hopefully you know, have a positive impact on, on the kids and the program and um, continue the success moving forward. Are you ready for the transition from a head coach for so long to being an assistant? <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. It's, I think it's going to be exciting. Like I said, there's going to be, I'll have less responsibility in certain aspects, but I've told Coach Pearson this, you know, when we, when we first started talking a while ago about the possibility of me coming back, I wanted to make sure that he knew, and he wanted to make sure that I knew, I'm sure too, that I, and by no means did I want to step on his toes or anybody's toes if I come back. It's As an assistant, it's my job to support the, the head coach and the program. 
I've done that before, and I, I, mean, I think I'm pretty. I'm a pretty loyal person, so it's it's not something that I, I'm going to struggle with. Plus, Ryan's a great guy and does things the right way, so it's even easier when that happens. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. You know, I'll get a chance to focus on the defensive side of the ball um, versus coaching. You know, on two sides and calling it. You know, calling it. I can I can sit back and really evaluate and hopefully help out on you know on practices and, and on, on game on game nights. So that's for sure. Definitely. That's very cool. What is your relationship with Ryan? And I mean, you've said a lot of great things. He's a great coach and stuff like that. Did you guys have a personal relationship before this? Not really. We first met when when I took the job in Stockton and he, he accepted the job in Princeton and came in. We sat down a few times. He shadowed me one day during P classes and we talked about the program operated when I was there and things like that, which I think was a good way for him to kind of see what things that he felt were, you know, important for the program and things that he felt that he probably could change as well. I spent so much time in Princeton, Brandon, that it's, I've got so many relationships there, so many friends there. I was at the Byron Princeton game in the semifinals. We lost in the second round this year, so I was there at the game and, you know, I, I still have relationships with those guys that were on staff, guys and gals in the community. So we just kind of developed, I think, a relationship through that and just staying in touch. He sent me things before about how much better I look in, in blue and white than I do in maroon and gold. So, I mean, it's <laughs> little, little things like that. And uh, he's been, he's been awesome, you know, in this, in this transition. It's just, thinks about it as you, you want to get down there you want to get together as a staff and, and get and get rolling so i can learn about you know the, the new guys that are on staff and the kids that are in the program that i mean they were all in you know sixth seventh and eighth grade you know when i left i mean i knew them but i mean i didn't have you know constant contact with them you know like these guys do so it's just a way to to learn about the kids and develop relationships with the kids but unfortunately with the situation we're in right now it's it's kind of difficult to do We'll talk about that in just a second, but you were just talking about kids, and they were 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Do you remember Rondé Wurls back then? Heck yeah. Rondé and I worked out like three days a week from the time he was in 7th through 8th grade. He'd come into the weight room. You know, the high school guys were right after school, and then we did a, a junior high session, you know, right after them, you know, three days a week. So he's definitely earned his opportunities, that's for sure. I'm pretty excited to have the opportunity to work with him this year. I remember between his sophomore and junior season, he was, you know, he was big sophomore. Like, he wasn't small by any means, great running back. And then all of a sudden, I seen him last year as a junior, and he is ripped and about three or four inches taller. And I'm like, oh, this dude's the real deal. I mean, he's also a kid that's earned it. He's a natural athlete, don't get me wrong there, but he's also a kid that when I was there and things I've heard about him, you know, first guy in the weight room, last guy out leadership on the field off the field just doing things the right way and it's exciting i mean when you have a young man that's got that kind of talent and they're willing to put the work in you know it's just the sky's the limit for him it's gonna be exciting to be around him and i'm looking forward to that opportunity that's for sure as a head coach were you more defense than offensive minded or you know this was just a spot that they had for you so you're like hey i would love to be here it's got a little bit of both i mean i know coach Moore. i think the last few years he's kind of taken uh, inside linebackers and outside linebackers, and I think Coach Pearson was looking to, to bring somebody in to separate, you know, especially when it comes to position, you know, skill work, fundamentals, things like that. Uh, but it just kind of kind of worked out. I've coached the outside linebackers the last couple of years in Stockton as well, um, and we actually transitioned to a, to an odd front defense this year, which kind of coincides with what you know Princeton's been the last three. So it's uh, it just kind of kind of mesh. It just kind of it's like the stars aligned when it came to stuff like that. I've always been a defensive guy. My first two years in Stockton, I called the offense. Uh, we had a we had a phenomenal coach. 
of my staff, Sean Hass, and he called the defense my first two years, and I, I called the offense. But and then we switched those roles last year, and I hired a guy that came in and was a was on a state championship team as a coach at one time, and just a phenomenal offensive coach. And he was able to come in and call all, which then I could lure to defense, where kind of where my heart my heart is anyway. So as a coach, that's where defense is where the money's made, man. <laughs> offense offense sells tickets. Defense wins championships. So. There's a couple exceptions if you look NFL-wise, college-wise, but otherwise, I totally agree with you. Oh, for sure. Like this year, the NFL and, and even in college, it's been kind of, it was kind of an anomaly with LSU and, and Kansas City, but Kansas City's defense was lights out, but they were definitely an offensive offensive team, that's for sure. Patrick Mahomes is probably my favorite football player right now. Him and Travis Kelsey together, man, it's and three kill. It's a pretty lethal combination, that's for sure. That's kind of hard to beat. That's for yeah. sure. That's for sure. We kind of mentioned it, or actually you kind of mentioned it, you know, the situation that we're in now, we're still in the COVID-19 coronavirus quarantine. So obviously it makes it hard to get back in the groove right now and meet the staff and stuff like that. But what are you guys trying to do to help the players and help, I guess, the bonding camaraderie being built now, even though you can't be with each other? Is a credit to Coach Pearson. I mean, I think he's done a phenomenal job. A Google Classroom set up just for the football team where he sends out, you know, the specific announcements um, each day, so, you know, workouts, uh, speed speed stuff, things like that. And, and the kids go on and they post a video of, you know, what they did and things like that, which every kid that does it, I mean, I'd say 95%, probably higher than that. The kids are doing it and they're posting, you know, let's get it, guys. We got to we gotta stay after it. You know, the fold is only this far away. Uh, I think those are... You know, huge things that have to continue. Like I said, I think that's that's a credit to Coach Pearson and the work that he's put in and the stuff he's doing. We've, as a staff, you know, we we talk almost every week. You know, whether it's through a group text message for something, or um, I've had a couple of zooms with a couple of the other assistants just to talk about when I get there, I'm hitting the ground running, understanding certain things with the defense and things like that. Kind of what we've done. You know, I put together a couple of PowerPoint presentations and, and sent them out to some of the outside linebackers and just reached out to them. The big thing for me is that I want them to be able to, I guess, know that they can contact me at this time if they if they want to, you know, and so if they want to talk to them, not even about football, just to start developing that relationship. And I think it's it's important that the kids know that you care about them at the end of the day. So, which is kind of what they're doing. It's just, it's tough to do. You just got to do it virtually. Yeah, life has definitely changed. Everything is virtually. We were just talking about the NFL. Watching the NFL draft the way it was instead of an auditorium, that had to be different for you. Yeah, my brother and I usually, and even before I moved back up here, we it's like one of our favorite weekends out of the, out of the year in the spring. You know, it's you know, that, that Christmas in, in April feel. Football's kind of going to get going again, and you got the combine and then the draft. But yeah, it was it was different. We went entire probably over a month without any type of live sports. So this that was like the first broadcast of like some type of live sports and it felt good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to watch. So I mean you're not gonna count the horse challenge? The horse challenge? <laughs> yeah, the NBA and ESPN had a horse challenge. They had like eight people that played horse. Gosh, I didn't even see that. I think I've gone living in I guess a dungeon here. Right now, so it's, I don't have like cable or anything. All I have is like streaming. I have ESPN now, but uh, yeah, I didn't even see that. Yeah, it wasn't very eventful. I thought it was okay because there was like something on TV that was sort of kind of live, but yeah. 
they have like eight ball players at their house shooting some hoops and playing a game of horse. <laughs> it was it was interesting. It wasn't really good, but it was it was something. Yeah, that's true. It's amazing. I mean, how the nation rallies around you know athletics and, and sports. You know, even in times of of trouble. So it's it'll be interesting to see which direction you know Major League Baseball goes and you know the NFL and everything once you know once we hopefully start looking at phasing into that reopening here sooner rather than later crazy thing is we don't know we don't know how we're kind of at the mercy of you know the covid for at, at this point i mean it's uh depending on how numbers and things go but yeah i think it's important that they take proactive steps you know to see where they could be if we're gonna look at like a, like major league baseball socket end of june so if we're gonna go into june how's that gonna look setting up like you said i think there is there like three divisions east coast west coast and then central yeah i mean it's kind of neat have the setup and it's it's creative i think it's really important to be as proactive as possible you know i think uh like as an ad right now i look at which i'm sure they are the ihsa hopefully they look at you know ways of how they're gonna if we do get are able to do any type of summer activities or how the fall athletics are gonna look you know if depending on when we're able to phase into that and if you know we god forbid i mean oh god forbid it doesn't end this way but if for some reason it gets pushed back, are they going to push the calendar back? Are they going to, what things are they going to do? So I think it's, it's and I should say, I think it's been phenomenal with being open-minded about just doing what they feel is right and not just coming out and canceling everything right away. So it's, um, it'll be interesting. That's for sure. And it's like you said, this, we got to control, we have control over and, you know, at the end of the day, we just have to control our controllables. So we'll see. So while we were watching the NFL draft, what did you think about, you know, the differences? No auditorium, you know, everybody was isolated at their own house with their own family, stuff like that. There was some lag time where you were waiting for a reaction and it kind of took a little bit. But overall, I thought it went okay for the circumstances we're in. Yeah, especially for the first time ever doing it virtually like that. I actually thought it was really neat. And I thought it was cool that you got to, you got to see the coaches in their houses and they're kind of like their their area, the different setups that they had. Uh, they were able to, to interact with their family, you know, during this during that time versus being like in the war room where you know they all got you know suits on or you know this that, the other thing. They got they're able to kind of relax and, and be themselves. And then same thing with the kids, you know, versus those guys that get drafted, sit in that back room waiting to get picked. They're able to be in the in their living room and they've got video set up of their family and the, the reactions of, you know, their mom and dad and, you know, girlfriends and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just kind of neat to see them in, in their own element. I think that's the humanization of it, I think, was, 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 was fun. Even with the NFL commish, Roger Goodell, looking like a normal dude for once, it was kind of weird. Yeah, that I don't honestly that was kind of that was kind of strange to me. He was like almost borderline creepy sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I think there was times he, I think I don't know if it was on Saturday or what, but he was it would have been Friday night, sitting in his chair, lean back, just just chilling. I mean, it was just it was it was cool to see, but yeah, he just he looked a little different than his normal go to so. Yeah, it's like you're the commissioner of the NFL, and it's like you're just a, another everyday Joe. So it was kind of cool to, like, level him out, but at the same time it was really weird because you're used to seeing him in a suit, and, you know, we're making fun of him because he doesn't know what he's doing sometimes. Yeah, I'm not kidding. 
because every, everybody else knows what they're doing compared to him, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is uh, I was listening to another program, and they were saying, I think it was Barstool, Chicago Barstool Sports, and they were talking about um, how they think he is the most overpaid person in the world because millions of people could do his job. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's a pretty high stress gig. I think it's. I think there's a little bit more to it than what people actually, you know, think. I mean, it's he's got to work with a lot multi-million and billion dollar owners on a consistent basis and you know keep everybody on the same page and you work with the people that, that make that amount of money or have that amount of money probably can keep them together it's gonna be pretty stressful in itself i would imagine <laughs> yeah i couldn't even imagine like a team-to-team argument you're the commissioner you got to get in the middle so then you're dealing with these two people who in the gist of things they all pay him so yeah it, it had to be <laughs> yeah, i mean they all pay him so it's got to be a weird deal does he make like four million a year or 40 million a year yeah something like that, Is that something like that? that to me that's insane yeah 40 million dollars a year i mean that's ugh, that's crazy <laughs> to hand out a hat on draft day and to solve squabbles between and, and two to be owners. A, a mediator yeah a mediator that's a good word yeah when a player gets in trouble, he's got to hand out the discipline, all that kind of stuff, too. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, essentially, it's that's not any different than being a, a principal or an assistant principal at, at a school. <laughs> no, actually, it might be easier, or because then there's the appeal, and he lowers it anyway. That's right. Like, the disciplinary right. actions, he'll say, like, oh, it'll be eight games, and then they'll appeal and be like, eh, we'll give you two. Yeah. Yeah, especially depending on what it is. Yeah, it's crazy. But it is, it's nuts. So you told me that you are a Dallas Cowboys fan. How did you think the Cowboys drafted this year? I was uh, I was excited. Um, I actually thought the first I thought their first pick they'd end up going with Chase on uh, defense, but uh, with CD Lamb dropping, I mean I, I think that's a pretty sweet pick. You got kind of a three headed monster now with Cooper Gallup and, and now CD and then Zeke in the backfield. So it was just pretty exciting. And then second round pick got our got our defensive back and Diggs, who's he's a, a a ton of athlete, so that's pretty cool. And then you got Gallimore on the defensive line, and picked up a, a center and another. They got Robinson later, later on with another defense, defensive back. So it was. I think it went well. I was, I was, I was pumped about it. Definitely. I don't really follow the Cowboys as much as I used to, but when I was a kid in the 90s and probably early thousands, 2000s, I was a huge Cowboys fan in the 90s when they were winning Super Bowls, but I was also like 8, 9, 10 years old, and how could you not love Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, like those were the guys. Jay Novacek, Daryl Johnson, Moose, yeah. Larry so Allen. So you're a traitor, is what you're saying. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> how do you go from, like, I mean, being diehard Cowboys to, what are you now, are you a Bears fan? Oh, yeah, Bears fan. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> but the way I looked at it is I lived, I've lived in northern Illinois or southern Wisconsin my entire life. So I yeah. was always around Bears games, and you can watch every single Bears game. Even though you can pretty much watch 95% of the Cowboys games, especially in the 90s and early 2000s. But yeah, you, you could then, and then they're on almost every weekend now, too. There was a, a spot in there from when, I want to say, when Coach Campo took over. He took over, he, I think he took over, he took over after Switzer. Yeah. When, you know, the, they were coming off 
that, you know, the Super Bowls and that early 2000s and where I think Quincy Carter was a quarterback. And it's just where we really struggled all the way up until Bill Parcells, when he kind of took over, then start, things started to come back up. And then from there to, to Garrett. But, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, you have the Tony Romo era, which was, it was fun because they could win games, but then if they got to the playoffs, they couldn't win, and they were, like, borderline getting into the playoffs. Uh, one year, they lost, like, a tiebreaker to the Giants. Another was, like, a tiebreaker to the Redskins. I'm like, man, they're never going to get over the hump. That's a, That was a, the whole thing about Coach Garrett, too. You know, I mean, he, in all honesty, in his 10 years there, I mean, he there wasn't many losing seasons, but... When they did well and they got in the playoffs, they lost in, you know, the first round or in the second round. And they just didn't, they, could, they couldn't get over the hump by any means. So it's kind of what, what it came down to. And now that they change the playoff rule, you look, you think about it. If, I think if the way it's set up now, if that rule would have been in place this year, the Cowboys would have made the playoffs. So they would have had a cheat to get in. They would have got in based on the, the new rule now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cheating. But if you think about it, it's like, okay, so if they make the playoffs, does Jerry, does he fire, does he fire Garrett then? If they're in, I don't know. So Probably not. That was his dude. I, I doubt it. Yeah. I think- I'm excited. I'm excited about McCarthy, though, too. So it's. We'll see. I hope, I hope things go well there. I know a lot of Green Bay people, I mean, they, they loved him when they were winning, but there was a lot of speculation on when they hired him, and I'm like, the dude's got a Super Bowl, and he's had a winning season, like, all but, like, two years as a head coach, so. Yeah, he doesn't have a bad track record, that's for sure. Yeah. Speaking of uh, speculation and bringing up the Packers, are you hearing all this stuff with Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, that was, like, that was like nonstop after they, uh, when they drafted Jordan Love, right? Yeah, Jordan Love. Yeah, the speculation, and they and they they traded up to get him when they probably could have got him at the spot they were at. Yeah, um, they pulled a Mitchell Trubisky move. They pulled a Ryan Pace. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's probably two ways to look at it. He's gonna have a chip on his shoulder, and he's you know he's gonna come playing like a son of a gun, or you know he's gonna play. Or he'll he'll play that way anyway, but. I think Brett Favre said this the other day, but I don't, I don't think he'll end his career in Green Bay. It's kind of like that same Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers story, you know. But the difference is, though, that Aaron, he was like a possible, you know, number one pick that dropped down to the tw- to the 21st. So Yeah, he was in the 20s. Yeah, he dropped all the way down, which is why the Packers picked him up. This is a situation where they, <laughs> they traded up to get this kid. They know more than we do, so. If you were a veteran quarterback and you've been in the league forever and, you know, he his, he has diminished the last couple of years, like, would you be really upset that they're, like, bringing in a backup? You know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the fact that he's diminished. He doesn't have as much around him as he did years past. This like, is he's true. Still, he's, he's still through for over 4,000 yards. That is true. I mean, you got a good season. point there. He just does, I mean, he's got Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, but there's not there's not a lot of other dudes around him, you know? Yeah, I mean, you could say that maybe his arm strength isn't where it was when he was, you know, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, but I think that happens with a lot of guys. When you look at Peyton Manning and even Tom Brady last year, but I think his upside still at 36, he's still got, you know, two, three good years in him. I mean, for sure. I don't know that I'd be mad. You're 36 years old and you've been in the league for... 
15 years. I mean, it's, it is what it is. That's kind of part of the business, though. But the, the media makes it way bigger of a deal than it is, probably. Yeah, and that was my point. I mean, he probably, he does have two or three years left. I say diminished because, you know, maybe you are right that he doesn't have Jordy Nelson. He doesn't have those guys that he's had in the past. But I thought, like, watching him, I, I thought he was a little slower. I thought his reads were a little, like, not... Aaron Rodgers like so I thought he took a step back this year but you can't be mad bringing in a guy that doesn't have to play tomorrow have him sit for yeah. two or three years behind you just like you did with Brett Favre you're not I gonna don't disagree with that at all yeah so that's why I was like why be mad about that that they're have a backup plan they're still paying you you're still their quarterback you're still the guy right now but you're not gonna be the guy forever yeah and I don't even know is there I mean he hasn't even made a statement about anything. So essentially, I mean, a lot, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff that's come out has been like pure speculation on how he feels. He hasn't like come out and said, I'm upset that they did it. You that's know? true. Yeah. So he hasn't come no, out and said anything. Like, I think Jordan Love even said that he talked to him and he, you know, congratulated him on the, on the pick. And, you know, I think it's, it's just reality of the business at this point. It's tough to get mad. I mean, the franchise still has to, they have to look out for their future too. And if you can get a guy to come in and, and work underneath a Rogers for the next two to four years and gain ex- solid experience working with one of the best quarterbacks of, the, of all time, you know, he's probably in that top 10, top 15 quarterbacks of all time. You know, it's a pretty good experience for that kid. Yeah. And he's got to think about his career i mean he did the same thing sitting behind brett Favre. so i mean he's got to understand how it goes yeah for sure i agree it has been fun talking some football you know this covid19 coronavirus has got us you know all doom and gloom but football always makes at least me smile i know it makes you smile so to talk about princeton and stockton the cowboys bears nfl draft it's been a ton of fun thank you for joining us jesse and i can't wait to see you on the sideline in princeton yeah, thanks, Brandon. It's been, this has been a lot of fun. This is my uh, first official podcast, so it's uh, pretty exciting. I uh, I can't wait to get in the, in the blue and white. I'm, I'm pumped about it, so thanks for having me on.